Welcome to Across the Line on this Football Friday. We've got a treat, especially for all the Kaya fans out there who experience one Louis Clark. A three-year period that is extremely memorable for all those that follow the journey of Kaya throughout the years. Chris, we finally got him on. Finally got him on the show. Uh, obviously, he uh, he was featured in last week's episode for our all-time Foreigner 11, which uh, which prompted us to get him on the show. Uh, long-time listener, viewer, loves, loves, the, loves the podcast, so really good to get him on the show. Uh, as explosive <laughs> as he was on the pitch is as explosive he was on the podcast. So... Yeah, really good. Really good to have him on the show. Speaks a lot about not just his, his footballing experiences, but a lot of his um, experiences off the field, some of his woes with injuries, with um, indulging too much with the nightlife, uh, gambling, he talks about his time in America. Pretty all-encompassing. So, yeah, uh, yeah a, real, a real treat just to get a, a more of a glimpse into what it was like. Uh, for him during his spell, not just in uh, in the Philippines, but over the course of his whole career. And extremely transparent, wasn't he? Like about the the good things that he'd done, about the bad things, the things he would have changed, um, all of it. I mean, he's really come out and and talked about even you know the fears that he had as a footballer and not being able to apply himself when the career was finished. All of that was discussed on this episode. Uh, the whole journey, the, uh, the lessons in between, and. Uh, and putting certain individuals in the in the community on blast as well. It's not lacking of entertainment value, that is for sure. And we hope you enjoyed as much as we enjoyed having this conversation with Louis. So um, if you enjoy it as we did, please do subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. And find us on social media on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And without further ado, the great Louis Clark is on the show. Today, we've got joining us all the way from England, Mr. Louis Clark is on the show. How's it going, Louis? I'm good, Jing. Yourself? Doing all right, man. Um, I, I, I'm going to build you up as this uh, episode goes on. You know, I don't want to throw too much weight good. on you right off the bat. You know what I mean? But I, I, maybe Christopher can help us out with a, a few tidbits about you. Chris, how's it going? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not going to give him any kind of build up, though. We we can just we can just go why straight into we, why it. Why have we got to go down this route already? Do you know what I mean? We started really early, to be honest, no, isn't it? No, it's, yeah, <laughs> I know. It's eight o'clock here. I appreciate being invited on. I was just saying to Chris, he must be struggling with his uh, guest lineup because to get me on the show, I don't know. I think there's some much bigger names, but it's. Uh, I'm honoured to be on. I watch the show all the time for when I uh, you're interviewing guests that I know. I watched the McMenemy one about 15 times just to see how awkward it was and to uh, <laughs> just to see that rivalry between Chris and him. But yeah, love it. Love what you're doing, guys. Uh, Actually, but, Jing, Jing, yeah. Jing, the reason why we got him on was he, he listened to the uh, All Time 11 episode, which we did last week, and it kind of prompted him to, um, to send me a message and say how much he enjoyed it. He was, he was pleasantly surprised that he managed to sneak into the starting 11. Well, I was trying um, to get your PayPal details, weren't I? To chuck you over that little bit of, that's little it. Bit of money and squeeze me in. That's yeah, it. it. That was a great episode. That brought back so many memories. Do you know what I mean? Um, some of the names that you brought up, I completely forgot about. But yeah, that was a really good listen. Did yeah. you agree with it? Did you agree with the lineup? I did, was, I did actually. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, think it, I think it was a, a really strong team. You got all of the people. You managed to work all of the people in there. The only... One um, that I did, uh, Mitter, Jordan Mitter, 
I, I was thinking about chucking myself out and putting him <laughs> in the front three. But other than that, I think you got it pretty much right, yeah. Yeah, Jordan was a Jordan was a handful to coach. I think I alluded to it on the uh, on the podcast. He was a bit of a he was a bit I of a agree. loose cannon. Uh, yeah, he but, did his own and, thing, didn't he? He really yeah. did his own thing, and he didn't really care too much. And I think that's what gave him that edge. Ultimately, yeah, he, he he's he was one of the rawest players I've ever come across by a long stretch. So yeah, no, I think he was maybe a bit unfortunate, but we've only got eleven spots. You can't fit everyone in. So uh, no. speaking of Mitter, I think of Mitter, Adam Mitter was a bit upset. Maybe we have to get him on because he, yeah. he was a bit, he was a bit upset. He weren't in the lineup as well. We we actually upset quite a few people. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you you're going to, aren't you, when you do that sort of thing? But um, you have to make them decisions. But I saw you. Mitter's obviously gone on. And he's doing well now, isn't he? He's, is he the king of Malaysia? Is he or something? Indonesia? Indonesia. Indonesia. I used to love playing against Mitter. I used to absolutely love it. But, you know, it seems like he's, uh, he's kicking on with his career. So, all the best to him. Good luck to him. For those unfamiliar with Louis, actually, you know, we play it down a little bit. But when you arrived in the Philippines, there, there was a huge uh, uproar that, that transpired. You know, initially it was like, who is Louis Clark? And then it's like, damn, nobody can stop talking about Louis Clark for a little while. And then it was just goals, goals, goals. And running up and down the, the flank super fast. And everybody was like, who is this guy? Who is this guy, Louis Clark? And that was, a, that was quite an introduction into the world of Philippine football for you. I think you're right. It was, um, it was a quick start. We, um, I remember flying over and we had a few friendlies and stuff at the blue pitch in McCarty. And I remember being really rusty and thinking... I don't even know if I want to get in the team here. Like I'm, I'm on the other side of the world, and I don't think, you know, it, there was a, there was a lot of rust. I wasn't playing at a high level before I came in, and then the cup game started. I think didn't they, Chris? And um, I had no idea who are who we were playing against, but we were playing against a team called Dolphins. And who were the other ones, Chris? They were terrible teams. That's how yeah, comes you got after that flying start. Some terrible teams, Jing. Where like, no, not trying to. Um, offend anyone but yeah it wasn't the greatest level and uh, scored scored a few goals and stuff and I come away thinking I was still young husband I thought I was going to crack the Philippines and it, it just didn't turn out that way you know and then I think we I remember Chris saying to me like we, we beat these teams and then we had a real tough test I think against like Loyola or Global and I couldn't get a kick I couldn't get on the ball didn't have a shot on target so I think that pretty much sums up the Philippines, really, and the level that you have these teams that are not so good, and then you have teams that are, you know, at a decent level, a real decent level, and that's shown. You guys have a, a bit of a history, you and Chris, right? Uh, I mean, how did you find your way into the Philippines anyway? Yeah, so we, I've known Chris. I remember the first time I come across Chris was, I must have been about 10 or 11, 12 years old. I can't remember exactly. And we were at a, um, a club called Brighton Hove Albion, who are a much bigger team now than what they were when we were there, um, the centre of excellence. And Chris was sort of, um, without trying to make his ego blow up, the poster boy of the centre of excellence at that time. And uh, um, I was just like a young kid with my parents at, at the, um, at the like, coach parent night where they would give you feedback on how you did for the year. And I remember the... Uh, academy director coming up to me and going oh that's who you want to you know this is who we want you to be like one day and it was Chris and uh, I had no idea who he was sort of thing but um, 
from that moment, I don't know why I remember it so much. I sort of always had him in my mind sort of thing. And um, I got to know his brother. Me and his brother played in the same youth team. And from there, Chris um, and me started chatting and he, he went out of his way to help us. You know, we, I was in an under-18s under team at Lewis um, with not many options, to be honest, Jing. You know, not many options at all. No real good grades, no clear football pathway um, to go down after, after school. And Chris sort of just put his arm out and said, what about America? And at that time, you know, I remember telling my parents about it and they were sort of like, what you want about? You're not going to America. You know, quite, quite that, that sort of situation, it was unheard of. And um, after talking with him and bugging him and driving him mad to try and find out more, he, um, he, he sort of said to me, get some footage um, and I'll send it out to my connections out in the States. And one thing led to another. I, I was offered a, a scholarship out of school in Ohio. So our, our, our relationship sort of, um, I wouldn't say blossomed, but sort of went from there, didn't it, Chris, where uh, he helped me for no reason at all. You know, no money, didn't want anything for it and essentially changed my life where I would have, at the time, I was working on a building site with my dad and then a couple of months later, we got to August, I was flying out to Ohio on a, on a lumpy football scholarship. I couldn't believe my luck. So it sort of, um, it sort of went from there, Chris, didn't it? And then we always stayed in touch. Uh, after graduating from, from school, I went to Australia, which is obviously over that way of the world in, you know, in Asia. And uh, Chris sort of, I remember doing two years in Australia playing and Chris said, uh, you fancy jumping on a flight and coming up to Manila? And then that's where it all started. Wow, unbelievable. How do, how do you remember this story, um, poster boy Chris? Uh, I don't remember being a poster boy. I don't think that was ever the case. But maybe, maybe the youth, maybe was it was it not, was it youth was it the youth development officer? or Was it my dad? It was Hinge. Oh, no, it was it? Hinge. Oh, wow. Okay. I have, I have, I have told you about this, and you didn't. I remember you saying you don't remember it, and you wouldn't. Oh, okay, um, I don't okay. think. But it was sort of like one of Hinch's off comments, where it was sort of like, by the way, everyone was shit scared at this bloke, and it, it, he, he was like, uh, that's who you want to be like. It was just like a quick comment, but it stuck with me. Okay, you know what right. I mean? And then I sort of um, learned more. I, I, I did my research on Chris and found out um, they had other clubs looking at him. And he was, he was very highly respected within the centre of excellence back then in Brighton. And, they had, you know, there were some good players there. And yeah, so I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember that bit. I don't remember that bit. But, um, no, I bet you don't. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was probably, yeah. I mean, that's, that's nice to hear. But kind of going more on the helping, helping Louis out, like I always remember what it was like when, when I got released from my club, or released by Brighton at 19, you know, there was very few people who were willing to help you out. Uh, you know, football's a very cutthroat business. And, you know, one minute, as you said, your flavour of the month and, and people are expecting you to go and kick on and be the next big thing. And that's the same with every age group. There's always someone who's going to be the next big, big thing. And invariably those players never seem to transpire. You know, it's always, I always think it's the players who kind of sort of bubble under the surface and come good at the right times and just kind of over a period of time, just keep ebbing away, keep working at their game, who invariably ultimately end up making, uh, making the grade. So, you know, when I, when I found myself 
with limited options, it's not a nice feeling to have. And I would like to have had someone to help me and guide me along that pathway to let them know, look, there are other options that are out there. Cause I didn't really have that when, when it was, when it happened to me. So I, I was quite familiar with sort of people in and around Louis age group, really. Cause I've got two younger brothers, as you know, and a lot of them, you know, were released or didn't quite make the cut. And probably I would say Louis was one of a bunch of players who I ended up helping going to America. Uh, I mean, you look at people a couple of years older than you, like Jack Stern, you probably would have been with yeah. uh, at the time. Jack's now the goalkeeper coach at uh, FC Cincinnati under Yap Stam, for example. So, like, we, I helped him get out to America. Um, and a Will bunch of other people. Yeah. yeah, Will Broomfield went out and played with my brother. Obviously, my brother went out. Both my brothers went out there. So, there was a bunch of people who just wanted to help out. And I think, for me, going to America provided a great... Um, pathway for people who weren't able to quite cut, cut the grade in, in the UK because I, I saw what it did to a lot of people who went down the non-league route so you go down that sort of semi-professional route and while you can carve out a good career for yourself while you can bounce back into pro football it is quite difficult Jing, once you make that step mm. down mm-hmm. um, opportunities weren't what it was now what it is now uh, where I think kids coming down the sit down the system can so have a safety net of a, if you get released from Brighton now, the likelihood is coming from a Premier League club, you might find another club, you know, a tier or two down. So you can kind of keep yourself in and around the pro game for longer. Clubs are willing to retain players for a longer period of time also. So, yeah, just at that time, I just wanted to help people out. Louis was one of those. And uh, how, how Louis ended up in Ashland was, uh, I don't know if you remember Kenny, but Kenny Hewitt was a kid yeah. who, similar, I helped bring out to America, I think the year before you, uh, That's from, right. the, from the same area. And he did incredibly well. So it kind of gave me a little bit of um, credibility, I guess, when it was sort of recommending players. And I actually didn't have to have that much of a hard sell. I got the footage, I sent it to the coach. The coach said he, he liked what he saw. Um, and then, yeah, in, invited him over. Uh, he then got, he subsequently got a move out to Syracuse, similar conversation. So my coach then went to Syracuse, which is a really big university in New York. Aimed for basketball, has got has mm-hmm. an unbelievable basketball pro- program. But Louis was part of a rejuvenation of that of that program. I know the coach um, who was there speaks very highly of Louis. So, no, for me, like it, it was always a case of. I know I knew what it was like to be in that predicament and I just wanted to make sure that people knew that they're, you know, when they got released from their clubs or when they didn't have, you know, a viable option for them on the table, that it's nice to have someone who can sort of help you out or perhaps guide you on the way because they've, they've been through a similar, similar trajectory, I guess. Jim, just to give you some context there, like um, companies and there's a, there's a million and one companies and agencies that do that job now what Chris did essentially mm. for me from taking me from a situation which wasn't great and giving me an opportunity to get an education and continue with full-time football but they're charging three three and a half grand a client now now this is something that Chris I remember it so clearly we play the game at Lewis it was for the under 18s and we got smacked and we were awful and I remember him sitting us down and going if you play like that you're never gonna I don't want to help I can't help you but he completely went out of his way, didn't have to do it, spent time, effort, using his connections to help us out. And I think that's, um, it really does show testament to, to the sort of bloke he is, do you know what I mean? And I'll always be thankful for that, where he, he had no business helping us. Really, Chris, did you? I don't know if there was an agenda behind it or not, but it seemed like the purest um, gesture ever and and he came through do you know what i mean but people are charging a fortune now for that same service chris 
So, you know, um, it, 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 it was unbelievable, really. My luck, my luck was definitely in. Maybe I should have charged some money, Jing. You know, I'm not flush <laughs> with cash at the moment. You know, there's a global pandemic on, so maybe I should have put that money away for a rainy day. You know what? Mate, I think all that. I think that stuff gets paid forward, though, Louis. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's kind of how I look at. I look at it. You know what I mean? Like, I never did it with any agenda. I never did it with with one eye on. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you to the Philippines in five years' time, and then you can come and play for me. It was never never like that. It was just a case of, yeah, I just thought it was a nice thing to do. You're in a privileged position. Of, of knowing people, do you know what I mean? I was, that, that was just the, the scenario that I found myself in, was that I knew a lot of coaches, I knew there were good players that I could potentially help out. And if it just means, you know, the only it's, thing it's, that really, I, I stood to lose with my reputation. So I, would, I wasn't one to, re, re, like to recommend, I don't recommend a lot of people, Gene. That was one thing that I, I was really clear about. And of the kids that I recommended, all of them went over and absolutely smashed it. There was not many people who went over and, you know, oh yeah, he was, he was all right for me. All of them have gone on to do really good things. Like a lot of them are still coaching, a lot of them are still involved in the game. Some are still playing professionally, but I know all of them went over, did their four years and did a really good job. Yeah, I remember you actually saying, Chris, I remember trying to, uh, repay you when I didn't have a pot a pot to uh, whatever in and I remember you saying uh, just send someone out there that you, you know you do the same as what I did sort of thing and over the years I've, I've tried to send boys over there to the, just to the schools that we went to you know using the connections that we had I'm sure Chris will agree that if you uh, the relationship you have with these coaches out there if you say a player's good enough and, and they trust your opinion they're going to give that player a, an opportunity and I think that's what I've tried doing as well over the last few years is just sending the right kids to, to my mates over in America and, and hopefully they can t continue to do the same. Yeah. That's incredible. It's quite, eh? an, it's quite an organic sort of um, setup, isn't it, Chris, really, to be yeah. honest? You know, just yeah. helping each other out. It really isn't a lot of work and it's life-changing. Like you say, there's loads of people out there. They may not be playing football anymore, but they may be married over there, um, working a job, whatever it may be taking them from one situation and putting them into another, it can't be a bad thing, I don't think. I don't know much about the Syracuse program and, and the environment with the football, but I've seen some NCAA games of basketball where the Syracuse crowd is, is quite raucous. Like it's, 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 a, it's a fantastic atmosphere. What was it like for football? Jing, the, <laughs> my senior year, um, it was ranked the number one party school in the, in the U.S., and I would love to say I had a big part to play in that. It was out of this, out of this world. And I miss it every single day. Um, yeah, it was um, crazy. Like, school, I wasn't there for school. I'm not academic at all. I didn't uh, do well in school in England. I tried. I, can't, I, I tried. I wasn't like the sort of kid in school that would just toss it off, not listen to the teacher. I, was all, I would always listen and try. I just wasn't able to do it very well. And uh, I remember having uh, a really bad GPA. I, I got like a two point, I think I graduated with a 2.2 or a 2.4 GPA. I wasn't there for the school. I was there for the, not for the football. I was there for like the lifestyle and the experience. That's what really grabbed me. Um, I remember paying off my tutors. I remember doing anything anything to get the grades because in america you have to have a certain grade to then be able to play do you see what i mean right. and um they were almost locking me in a room making me do my work to make sure that i was eligible to play 
just for an example, all the other players would be given two hours study hall a week where they would have to sign into a room uh, with a card so they know they're there with computers and tutors and stuff um, and do their work. Well, I had to do eight hours a week just because <laughs> my work was so bad. And um, Mac, the head coach, um, who that's Chris's connection, um, who I have a good relationship with now, I would drive him mad. Like I, I, I know I caused him some some real stress. But yeah, Syracuse in terms of a place, it, I would I would say it was probably the best time of my life. Um, Thirty thousand kids, all with not much to do, uh, playing football every other day. It it was brilliant, Gene. Yeah, it was fantastic. That sounds like an amazing time, actually. <laughs> yeah, I miss it every day. I'm back to reality now. Look out the window now. It's hammering down with rain. I've got a load of work to do, people driving me mad. But, yeah, I, I wish I could go back and be a sophomore in Syracuse again, definitely. <laughs> no, that, Jim, that, Jim, yeah, go we ahead, have Chris. Lot, we, we have a lot of kids that, that listen to the show, watch the show, kids who you would have coached as well, Louis. So mm. they're at the age now where they're, they're talking about going to university. Some of them are looking at going to America. Like, what, what are some of the things that you think these kids need to be aware of, both good and bad, about going over and playing at that sort of level? I joke about my grades and stuff, but it's it, it, the education part of it is it, is really serious. You know, I wish I did take it more serious, but ultimately I just wasn't very good at my academics. But um, it is so important to get that that education. A lot of my friends that took school serious have really good jobs now, and they're almost you know they they I wouldn't say they're financially secure, but they, they've got a, a, a good job with a a decent pathway where where they have a career do you know what i mean it, it's something that i think if 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 you're looking to to further your education it's definitely a good option to get your school paid for and, and try and go down that scholarship route um chris i remember some of the boys obviously mick tao that that whole that whole age group how old are they now are they they're all looking at it 16 yeah they're, they're all, all looking, looking at, at it. it yeah so yeah if they are listening i would really recommend it get in touch with uh I don't know how busy Chris is at the moment, myself or Chris, and I, I would love to help some of them guys, you know. Um, I'm not sure what the situation is if they're listening at the moment with COVID. I actually saw that um, aren't full sports cancelled in the States at the moment, or I don't know how that's going to affect everything. But if it's something that you're looking to do, um, you know, get in touch with the people that have been out there before. Try and stay away from these big agencies. I, I believe, this is my opinion, that are going to charge you a fortune because at the end of the day, if the kid's right, it's a phone call. And it's it, like I say, if, if coaches, I believe coaches will trust our opinions. And if a player is good enough and we want to put our name to them, it isn't, it isn't a lot of work to try and get that over the line. Do you like that? Across the line. Across, Across the line. The line. <laughs> oh, I saw what you did there. Very clever. Right, very good. Um, no, but yeah, yeah. Like, it, it was a great option. You get to continue your full-time football. You get treated. Um, the facilities at Syracuse, especially, were on another level. So, uh, unlimited uh, trainers and physios around you. If you get sick, you see the doctor straight away. If you need an X-ray, you go to the hospital. Um, your food's all done, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. The facilities are there twenty-four-seven for you to go and use. The gym, the indoor pitch, the outdoor pitch, um, hot tubs, cold pools, whatever you want. We were completely spoiled. And it, it, it essentially gives you every opportunity, I think, to um, to be the best player you can. You know, 
it, it definitely put me in good stead. Like with with the America thing, not to go on about it too much, but I think you would agree, Chris. Like everyone, sort of the MLS is the end goal. That's what it was for me. After school, I wasn't going to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever with my degree. I always wanted to go to the MLS, and it's actually quite a funny story where um, I was told to leave school early to as I was going to be drafted and. With the MLS, they put out these sort of like um, mock drafts, top 10 lists, and I was involved in pretty much all of them. So uh, I remember coming home for the draft and it was on ESPN Plus or something. And uh, got the whole family round. We're watching it and uh, expecting to be picked. And then I remember on the first day, it was like round one and two, where like, I think the top 60 players or 50 players get picked. And uh, I wasn't predicted to go in them rounds. I was going to go later. And when you go later, you sometimes don't get signed. You just get invited into a training camp or something. So uh, then first two rounds went past. And the next day, the third, fourth and fifth round, and this is when I was like, look, this is when it's happening. And we were all there watching it. And it just never happened. It just never, my name never got called. And honestly, I just wanted to sack football off at that point. Like you put so much into get for me it was a big problem like and it's something I try and live by today is where I had this end goal of being in the MLS it's what all I wanted to do uh but I wasn't really focusing on what I was doing the next day or that day it was all long long-term goal sort of stuff and I think that was ultimately my downfall where if I sort of focused on what I was doing that day and the next day rather than what's going on in five months time I think I would have had a better chance of getting there but um, yeah, the, the, the college the college setup now I do think it's a little bit different to be honest. I think the levels got better. Um, I think more acad like pro like cat one cat uh, players are going out there to play. But um, yeah, it, it was it was it was incredible experience that set me up to then you know go to Australia. Um, Australia was. Um, Sorry, Lou, before we go, sorry, before yes. we go to the, there, did you, did you do the combine? Did you go to the combine or not? No, it was quite... So what happened there? Yeah. Why, why did you not go to the combine? Didn't get invited. Didn't get invited. It's, it was a Did you, did you not one, think that was, was a bit of an alarm bell then? <laughs> did you not yeah, think that was a bit but of... like, I think 50 people got invited to the combine, but there was like 150 that get picked or something. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and the combine was, I remember it being in Florida and... Honestly, I was told I was going. Like it was, it was gonna happen. And then I remember being in a car, and the list came out, and I weren't on the list, and I was fuming, I was raging. But but the the reason I thought I was going was because what I was seeing online and what I was hearing from people that I trusted, and I do trust. You know, they were obviously getting told stuff, but I was um, very much in the loop with the conversations between clubs and the school. Um, which then made the school turn around. Like obviously, clubs were saying to the school, "Look, we're going to take him." And the school told me to drop out of school, to not sign up for classes next semester. So when when you get told that sort of thing, you know, I thought it was a done deal. But um, like anything in life, it's not done until you know it, it, it was far from done. Did you wow. did you end up doing that spring semester then to finish it off to finish off? No, school? so yeah, that's it was funny. So I I uh, obviously didn't register for classes, and then it, the draft was in um, January, early mm -hmm. January, 
and classes. You had to be back like middle of January, I, I think it was. So I, I wasn't I wasn't enrolled. So um, I went to Australia that for that semester and then came back to school to finish up. If that makes sense. So I missed the spring, went to Australia, and then came back for the fall to finish my grades. But um, I ended up failing and then having to stay for another semester to finish up. So yeah, I, I dragged was, the whole process. Was that, I ended was that up by being design? Five years. Was that by design? It, it got to halfway through the semester where it was sort of possible for me to stay for another semester if I didn't do so well. So um, yeah, yeah, pretty much, Chris. Without without trying to um, get anyone in trouble, yeah, I I, I uh, ended up getting another semester out of it where I was dressed up as an undergraduate assistant, which was um, which was another experience in itself. Yeah, trying to trying to juggle. The number one party school in America with being an assistant grad coach was was quite tricky to be honest. I don't think I turned up too much. <laughs> but yeah, but it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant, and that that obviously led to Australia, which was complete park football. It was recreational, um, paid football. You know, we 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 were we were getting paid. It wasn't a lot of money at all. Um, but again, it was with a, with a couple of my mates, Dan Summers and my mate Charlie Remain, who um, I played with previously. Dan at Syracuse, Charlie back here in England, and um, yeah, we just played out there. And it, was, it Australia was a bit of a jolly up, to be honest. It wasn't too professional. We would train once a week if we were lucky, and uh, did that for two years. And then that's when Chris gave me the call to come to Manila. Two years. Where, where in Australia were you? We're out in the sticks, so we're in a town called Myrtleford, um, two hours outside of Melbourne. Um, Jing, the football was wasn't great to be honest. We it was nothing like Syracuse, and it was nothing like Manila. It was essentially, uh, I wouldn't say pub football, but it was park football. Mm. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? But in Australia, like everywhere else in the world, they have a different setup where the bragging rights in this park football are high. You know, there's people putting money into it, funding teams, everyone was getting paid. Um, yeah, it was, it was a different experience. I would say it was probably a step backwards, but um, a step backwards to then move forwards. That's the way I looked at it. What did you know about Manila prior to coming? Nothing. I knew that Chris and Simon were, were famous out there. That's what it seemed like to me. Um, and I think at that time, it was when you guys were having the real boom within mm. Philippine football. You know, mm -hmm. the, the Azcal's doing really well and 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 um, football sort of go... Was it on par with basketball? You know, it was definitely growing in popularity at that time. Um, so, yeah, I knew that them two were doing really well out there and I think I was always trying... Me and Chris would talk about it, wouldn't we, Chris? And so he would drop, drop the feelers out there and say, would this be something you're interested in? But... Um, yeah, I don't think the timing was right, but there was a time when he—I I think he messaged me or Facebooked me and said, "Look, are you ready? Are you ready to come out?" And I, at that time, uh, I dropped everything and said, "Yeah, let's give this, let's give this a go." But yeah, in terms of the football scene, Jing, I didn't know nothing. I didn't know nothing. I don't think the coverage was that good then. I don't think the UFL or um, that—I I remember you boys were playing at Emperor, weren't you? And I didn't see any of that footage until I got over there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When you arrived, you I played at Rizal mostly, right? Yeah, so we, pl we played... Um, yeah, Emperor was the season before. And then, yeah, we played, we played at Rizal. Um, 
my first game was at the Blue Pitch in McCarty. I can't remember who we played, Chris. It was a friendly. Don't, I don't expect you to remember. Um, but yeah, we played at Rizal. We played at the, the pitch in BGC, you know, the, the turf in BGC. Mm-hmm. We trained there. Um, and Infrador. I, I used to love Infrador. I think it's still a, a fantastic setup. I think it's brilliant. Um, I would have actually liked to have played there as well. I don't think it would have suited me too much. But um, yeah, Rizal was a funny one as well. I didn't really get along with Rizal. I think the turf, it, it was like, it, it, at Rizal, it was like real high grade turf, isn't it? It's quite long and thick. And I didn't really like the roll of the ball on it. I much preferred the, the surface at Emperador. But yeah, um, yeah, fond memories of Rizal. I remember the cockroaches in the showers and the, uh, it's not what people, I try and explain it to people, but they can't, they can't grasp it. One thing that was a bit unique with you was how quickly the fans um, felt connected to you, right? Um, the reason that I knew that was when I saw a friend of mine that I went to high school with, her name's Chriselle. Um, we went to uh, high school together in CSA and um, she turned that up at, Riz- at Rizal one time. I was like, you'd never watch a football game in your life. And on top of that, she had like a, a stick with your head on it. Louis Clark head, <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah. what's going on here? Like, how is she watching a game and why is she fangirling over some guy that just arrived, right? Louis Clark. Mm-hmm. And that's when I sort of saw the, that, that, you know, there was going to there's something special here, right? People are being turned on to... Uh, to see you play something exciting. I, mean, I loved it. I can't, I'm not going to lie about it. I, um, it's something that I never experienced before. You know, I had this idea of being a pro footballer all my life and everything that comes with it and um, not being famous. I never wanted to be famous at all. And I wasn't famous, but having people interested and excited to watch you play is definitely something that I think most players aspire to, you know, having that, walking out of Rizal and having people waiting there to say hello and things like that is something that was new and I never had before. So I embraced it. Do you know what I mean? I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think it was, I ended up not liking it, to be honest. And I'm not saying for one minute that I was um, bombarded like the Azcows or Phil and James and that. It was totally different. They were on a complete another level. But I think within the, within the football community, um, you know, there was a little bit of, I wouldn't say hype, like, I guess there was a bit of exposure there. And I, I liked it at the start because it was new. But I ended up realising that it wasn't for me. It wasn't the sort of person I was. I didn't really like everyone looking at me and things like that. You might might find that hard to believe. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I learned quite quickly that it wasn't, it, 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 it wasn't that important to me and I didn't enjoy it that much, although I might have showed it at the time. That's quite interesting because, Chris, I remember you and I having this conversation about Louis and, and, and thinking like, you know, somebody who embraced that side of the game so quickly and was so good at it as well. You know, like it, it felt as if you were very, very personable with everybody that came across you and you really gave everybody the time of no, day. No, Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, mate. Always, hundred percent. I wanted to make sure that I didn't. I think on the pitch, I um, upset a lot of people, and that's just the way I sort of play. That's how I um, got tried to get the best out of myself. I would always try and pick personal battles with people. I always found I played better in games when I had like a little off the field or personal battle with a few mm. of the players on the other team, and it would 
I don't, I didn't realise it so much at the time, but looking back, it would drive me to really uh, get up for the game and and try and have a good game. When, um, for example, at Loyola, uh, me and Chris's brother had a bit of history. Me and um, Adam Mitter had that English sort of battle. Me and Anton Del Rosario, we don't like each other. Um, these little battles sort of made, gave tried, that's what wound me up to try and have a good game but then I know I knew that about myself so when I came off the pitch I, I always did try to be uh, very friendly and, and come across the right way you know rather than trying to carry that persona that was on the pitch off the pitch if that makes sense yeah 100% um, yeah, Chris, well, I remember us talking about this and, and, and you telling me that this wasn't a side of the game that you particularly enjoyed or excelled at, uh, but Louis did. Which, which part? The, the, the fame part? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, adulate, the adulation part? The, the giving the fans time and, and speaking with them and, and corresponding and all of that, you know? Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think, it's, I think you, you got to temper that with, like, I think like the ultras Kaya people who were coming week in, week out, like that's, that's fine. I think you can give the time um, to, to those people because they're, they're really invested in like coming out and watching us and they did come out and support us week in, week out, you know, really vocal support, be very you know supportive online and that sort of thing. So that, that, that side of things wouldn't bother me one bit. It's when you get, yeah, just people on the off, off chance popping up at Rizal, watching the odd game here and there and then wanting to take, pictures and asking you silly questions and, and that kind of stuff like when you don't I don't feel it's genuine I feel it's a bit gimmicky do you mm. know what I mean that's that's when I, that's the sort of side and I, I struggle with that and then that's when I get a little bit rough you know I, I'm not I'm not I'm not too um I think that's a lot of that accumulated over time mm. with me and I think like, like that that probably was exacerbated a little bit with Louis like you said like when he came in it's, it's quite endearing at the beginning but then after a while it, it kind of wears thin but then I think that's that's this probably like with Louis. I probably imagine that's that's the case with a lot of different things with that come with living with the Philippines. I mean, we we had discussions about loads of different subjects about how certain things would wear thin on him, and and you got to try and have this veil of um, yeah, just in front of you all the time. That's like you can't. There's certain things that you can't show. Do you know what I mean? You can't show your displeasure with certain things. And we had, we used to laugh about having to get changed on the street. You know, like we, we would be like, I you know, hated that man. This is one of the things that really, really got. So actually, it kind of leads me on to the next question, really, because obviously there was a lot of great things about about living here in Manila. But what what were some of the things that that you struggled with, apart from like you sort of said there about dealing with with certain crowd elements and and, and dealing with the opponents? What were some of the other more difficult elements to that you had to adjust yeah, to and, coming and out here? Like you say, Chris, the ultras choir um, were unbelievable. That like I just want to say that like, I appreciate. I never really. The way I left the Philippines, I never really got the chance to say thank you to them. But it was like, I do, I do want to say thank you to them because they used to sing the whole game, whether we were playing for good or whether we were playing well. That support was always there. And that's something that I never experienced. So I did want to say thank you to them. But yeah, things that wound me up about the Philippines, um, without trying to be rude, everything just takes a million years to get done. <laughs> I always expect things to be especially now I want it to be done or it needed to be done yesterday and everything just took time do you know what I mean it, it, I know that's quite a silly thing to sort of it, it, but it, it, like you say it grinds it grinds on you over time there was just so much uncertainty I remember being out there on the other side of the world 
for weeks and not playing games because this had happened or that had happened and there was trouble with the PFF or the Azkals were having issues. And there was, I was out there to play football at the end of the day. And I remember being out there for a long time without playing any football. Um, so that, that, that's something that wound me up. Um, I know it's quite an easy one, traffic. I'd rather walk <laughs> than sit in that traffic ever again. It just used to kill me. Um, nothing really, Jing. I love... I, I I loved it. The heat, like I don't know how we played in that heat. Um, I don't care what anyone says. It's a different game. It's a completely different game in that heat. Um, but other than that, I absolutely I absolutely loved it. I I, I found myself um, spending a lot of time on my own out there. Do you know what I mean? I I was on my own a lot. I didn't have friends outside of football. Um, I didn't have friends really on other teams. I I just sort of um, stuck with the people at Kaya, um, who we were around with, who I was around every day. So I wouldn't say I was lonely, but um, because they, I I had great people around me, my teammates, um, Paul Tolentino, Justin Tolentino, Chris. I had people to that I could rely on, and if I needed them or we needed, you know, I was bored out my head and needed to go for some food. There was a number of people I could have called on but um yeah I, I I think I think that was something that uh if I was to do it all again I would have probably tried to have been a little bit more social during the days at the night in the night time I think I was fairly social but um um during the day I wouldn't say I was lonely but I didn't have too much to do you know I, I think I struggled with that you look if I was to tell you my day now there ain't a minute that I've got free to do something that I want to do. And then I had all the time in the world and that then you start thinking and I found myself just coming home from training and playing the PlayStation all day. Mm. Like, it, 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 there were days that were quite, I wouldn't say hard, but uh, I struggled with that a little bit, you know, not, not being able to fill my day. And I think that's the same for a lot of footballers, a lot of footballers, which is what, it, it, it's actually quite an important topic because you have, all of this time whilst you're playing, no matter what anyone says, resting is resting. You can rest. You don't have to be laying in bed playing PlayStation to rest. There's other things that you could do. And um, I wish that I used that time a little bit more um, smarter or efficient, you know, working on other things, you know, to, to make more money or to further yourself as a person. You know, you have all that time. So, if there is any players out there listening that are in that sort of situation, you know, get get off the PlayStation and 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 do something productive. You know, I've come away a little bit away from your question there, Chris. But yeah, like traffic, weather, mm-hmm. getting things done, and filling my days are things that I I found difficult. Yeah. So, what what would you advise, Louis Clark? Back in the day, like what, what would you tell him specifically to do? Like you said, I mean, you did a little bit of work with the academy, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. Yeah. But what if you were to go and be specific about what, what you wish you'd have done? Because I, I guess that's probably quite relevant sort of information that most footballers can relate to, as, as you alluded to. So what would you specifically say you, you think you should have been doing if you could have that time back again? Um, it's quite a tricky one. So at the back end of my um, time in the Philippines, I, re- I quickly I quickly realised that I wasn't going to be playing football forever for a number of reasons. I thought, um, 
uh, I didn't think I was good enough to earn the money that was required for the, not the lifestyle that I wanted to live at all, but to pay the bills, you know. I think the money I was on, I appreciate completely from Santi, LBC, Justin, Paul, Chris. It was great for that, but it wasn't the sort of money that um, would change my life or give me the life that I wanted. So I always knew that uh, I wasn't going to be playing into my 30s, 31, 32, 33. There was options to go abroad and I went the whole Singapore thing. But one thing that I noticed was that players were getting to that age, retiring, and then having to start back at square one with you know, whatever they were doing, going to a normal job. I'm not just talking about people in the Philippines. I'm talking about people back here as well, or going and working in an office at 31, 32 and kickstarting their professional careers again, where that, that just, that just wasn't for me, Chris, you know, that, Jing, that, uh, that I, I, I was never going to do that. I, that's why I stopped playing at such an early age was because I wanted to start my professional career, my work career sooner rather than later. And um, it was all, it was a real quick moment. Whereas if I could go backwards, I would have used that time to maybe, I had ideas of what I wanted to do, what I'm doing currently, working on that whilst I was resting in between training sessions and games. And I think that would have propelled me into my professional life, my working life, and put me in, in better stead rather than quitting. What actually happened was stop playing football and then started from scratch with my working life which what would have been smarter was using that time whilst I was resting to work on these projects and these ideas that I wanted to do after football so then once football is done you, you know you're up and running so that actually Chris that would be my advice is to you know set I know it's quite an easy thing to say but work on what you're going to be doing after football whilst you're playing if you're full-time you've got plenty of time to do that yeah I, I think there's a lot of people that like you said, you know, they get to 32, 33 and then having to start from scratch and then that's when they start to go on their coaching courses. That's when they start to do their badges. And a lot of people do that just because they want to be involved in football and they don't know anything else. Like scared, I think one of, scared the life out of me. That, scared, that thought scared me big time. Yeah, and I think so, a lot of people, yeah, like, I mean, I remember you saying at one point you wanted to go and do a bit of work experience, didn't you? Like with some of the people within either LBC, like you had a good relationship with Justin, you were talking about, you know, maybe potentially going and doing sitting in with him a few days a week and just trying to get an idea. I remember you having those conversations. So I, I knew that those cogs were sort of turning in your head, but I just, you know, you obviously then it came to not an abrupt end, but obviously you made the decision to move on. Um, I think it's a really valuable one. Like I remember talking to some of the players, obviously Kaya's, like you said, we, we, we're a decent club, but we're not paying, you know, life-changing sums of money. So th these people, unless they're seeing it as a stepping stone to going to move on and, and further their careers. If you're 28, 29, you're still playing at, at Kaya, then you better be looking at what's the next, next move for me. Like what's the next stage for me? Uh, and I think that's the same for anyone who's playing in the PFL because you're not earning life changing money. So, and you've got to be setting up other, other things for, for your life post career. I think that's a massive one. And if you don't, then you're going to be faced with a lot of the problems that footballers find themselves in now, which are, you know, mental health issues, issues with alcohol, issues with gambling, um, and just, you know, uh, marital issues. All of these things come to, to come to play, financial issues, because they, they, they're used to and accustomed to a certain lifestyle, a level of lifestyle. There's just not, you, you cannot sustain that unless you're earning 30, 40, 50 grand a week. No, 
no one can do that unless you've played in the Premier Premier League in England or you at one of these clubs that are playing ridiculous amounts of money. It, it ain't happening. This money ain't going to last forever. Now, I know there are players in the PFL that are on good money. You know, so, like Schrock and at Ceres, I'm sure there's a few boys that have that are taking on decent money each month. But it's not like it, I, I don't imagine it'll be life changing money. It's probably money that could probably set them up for a few years after playing. But it's something that I would really want to drum into people's heads, especially these players that are 25, 26, 27. I think you've got to sort of be um, not realistic, but aware of what sort of level of player you are. It, I felt like I was very realistic with my ambitions. People were always saying, you can go to Thailand, you, uh, you can do this, you can do that, you can go and get bigger money. But I, after that MLS experience, I, re- I quickly knew what sort of player I was. And I always compare it to back here in the UK. You know, The level here in the UK, no matter what anyone says, is incredible. Like the non-league setup, grassroots non-league pyramid. There are some like exceptional, exceptional, exceptional players, and I would always compare myself to players, my mates that were playing back here. And nine times out of ten, they're they're a better player than me. So I quickly realised that if they're playing that level in England, it's going to be really hard for me to sort of carve a career out for myself here. And the, you know, there were options to go abroad and stuff, but again, it wasn't the sort of deal that would. Changed, changed my life so it, in the back of my mind it was always um, there's more to life than football to, than playing football that's the way I always saw it there was other things that I wanted to do um, don't get me wrong I, that, I don't think that took my eye off my will to win and want to compete that's what I love more than anything but I, I always knew that it wasn't going to last forever and that if I wanted to um do this and that and have a family and have a house and things like that, that it was better for me to sort of get out sooner rather than later. Do you know, do you know what I mean? That's incredible. I mean, that's, that's actually something that I'm terrified about being in and around Kaya, being in and around Philippine football is the number of players who don't give that a thought, you know, mm. um, individuals. It's scary, mate. Yeah, and I'm not saying I've cracked it at all. I'm far from cracked it. I'm far from set up for life at all. Nowhere near it. But um, the thought of being of me finishing my football now and having to start from square one scared the life out of me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these kids, you know, they get picked out of their provinces uh, at an early age, maybe uh, just after grade school. They go to Manila, and they're basically professional athletes since that age. Right? They've been asked to come in in the schools, live there. They're given an allowance. Uh, they play. That's it, basically. Um, whether they do well in school or not is not the priority. Um, and a lot of them will not be able to use their degrees uh, properly in the workforce. You know, um, So it's, it's, it's a terrifying sort of predicament for a lot of the players who don't give that thought as to what they want to do. But you're still in the football industry. You're still quite busy. You're, you're very busy on my Twitter feed. Yeah, we're busy. We um, so I remember it actually. It was um, this is a nice little plug for me here. So I'm gonna give you the spiel, the sales spiel. But um, I remember um, being absolutely obsessed with watching our games back, and watching myself play. Um, and you know, all our games at Rizal were filmed, and. I remember sitting in my room, like making notes in Stamford in BGC, making notes of 
how I can sort of um, provide the same service back in the UK. Um, just just purely on that self-obsessed, I love watching myself back playing football and, and how can I deliver that to, to my friends that are playing in the non-league game, grassroots game in the UK. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I, I, I'd never picked up a video camera, never done any editing, um, just knew that there was sort of a gap there that I, I could have a bet on. And um, yeah, you're right, Jim. We, we aren't where um, I want us to be. You know, we, we, we're on the right path, but um, we, it was something new. No, one, no one's ever done this in the UK where they're sort of given the exposure uh, and, and, and production, you know, broadcast production level to, to non-league and grassroots football. In the UK, you have the Premier League and you have League Two, 80-odd uh, clubs, maybe 100-odd clubs. And they're covered by uh, BT and Sky, you know, traditional broadcasters, huge corporations. And then um, there's they, the data is quite hard to find, but they say there's around 15,000 non-professional games um, played in the UK every week when there's no rain or postponements. What? Fifteen thousand? Um, yeah, it's crazy. I'm talking. Acro- I'm talking across all levels. Uh, under uh, under seven kids yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, vets to walking football to disability football to to women's football all levels okay across the across the uk they say there's around fifteen thousand games per week and um we 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 want to all of them games are up for grabs you know they're all up for grabs for to be filmed to be uh packaged up into highlights packages and that, and that and that's our aim, you know. We want to we want to have a footprint on the, on them fifteen thousand games each week. And um, I had that idea back in Stanford. I was telling my mates about it, telling my dad about it. Uh, I would always get the the sort of comment back. Well, why do they want their games filmed? They don't care about it. But I had that experience of having our games filmed and. Um, and feeling how good it felt to watch ourselves back when watching myself back when I had a good game or if I didn't have a good game, you know, looking back and looking at things that I didn't do so well. So um, that's where it all originated from, you know, the, my experience in Manila of, of um, being filmed to then thinking, how can I deliver that back to the UK? And you're right. We, we, we pre COVID, we built up a lot of momentum. You know, we were doing stuff with the FA we were doing stuff with um, leagues, you know, instead of working on a club by club basis, we were doing deals with leagues and we still have a lot of them agreements in place. Um, but yeah, like I, I also got to give a, give a shout out to Midgey. I know you guys know Midgey. Yeah, of course. Um, he was someone that um, I, I become close with in the Philippines when I was over there. He was the media guy, you know, what you do now, Jim, yeah. the media marketing guy at Kaya and um, was always there for me, um, no matter whether it was football or non-football related. And we kept in touch. And I knew, you, you guys know him, he's a genius, right? He's a, he's a genius on the marketing side. He's a genius on the business development side. He's very switched on. And... Um, he, he helped me in the primary stages of your instant replay and it sort of developed where, you know, he was doing more and more work and now he's on a, he's on a salary where um, we, we pay him each month for, he, for, for his work. So yeah, I wanted to give Midgey a shout out because without him, 
your instant replay wouldn't have even got off the ground. But um, like I was saying, yeah, we built up a load of momentum and then and, and now COVID struck. So we we are pretty much where we were at last season. Pre-COVID, the plan was to double our output to around 60 games a week for the 2021 season. Um, we're not going to get there, but I think we'll remain where we were last year at 30, 35 games a week, which to be honest with the pair of you is a miracle, you know absolute miracle that we've still got a business to be honest last year we in the UK it was um the worst winter like ever recorded I think in terms of rainfall from um November to January we had hardly any games on there was storm Brenda storm Sierra every other week there was this storm and we were going weeks months without games which was hard and all of them games from November to January were sort of rescheduled for the back end of the year, March, April, and then COVID comes. So we missed out on all of them games that were rescheduled as well. And if you think about it, that's almost half a season's worth of football. So even though we built up a lot of momentum last year with our reputation, we, we didn't have a great, a great year on paper. Right. I'm glad you finally mentioned that the name of your company. Uh, the shield yeah, didn't no, even... I forgot that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I don't, I, it, yeah. It's um, it, like you say, it's it's staying within the football industry, um, which I, which is definitely really important to me. You know, I can't, I I know how to talk, and I enjoy dealing with football people like yourselves. You know, we can talk on a level we have something in common. Even like you said, Chris, I was I was peppering Justin and Paul and Santi about getting some work with them but I don't think I would have done very well because I think in any like most things in life you, they, they say do what you know don't they and I think all I really know is football and I, I'm I'm very happy to still be in this industry you know not playing but being a cameraman's uh, second best I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it's quite incredible you know what, what a journey right I mean you say you're not good in class you weren't good in academics but intelligent guy i mean you 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 started your own business and you're it's you're making it work and staying in the in, in the community of football and uh providing a a tremendous service um i'm i'm starting to see that you know there's some incredible quality as well uh, at lower leagues there's some tremendous goals that i've seen that you guys have been able to capture and i'm sure if you were playing on a weekend and you scored a worldie none of your friends would believe you but Exactly. Let me show. Exactly. Let me show you the video, bro. Let me show you how good that that top corner was, or whatever it was. You know, like yeah, there's this fantastic that, value. That is it, mate. That that is it down to a down to a T. So my goal is to sort of a lot of the clubs we work with are like they go into the pub after the game and have a few beers. Do you know what I mean? And my whole thing was, you know, once it gets to eleven o'clock at night, ten o'clock at <laughs> night, can we give these fellas the clip on social media of their goal? So. Once they're all on the dance floor, their, their mates are on the other side of the bar, the notification comes through and they can all crowd round and have a look at the worldy that he was talking about 20 minutes later that no one believed him about. And I get a little bit of a buzz out of that, being able to do that. But like you say, like it, it's great. I love it. I, I, um, just to go backwards a little bit, I think when I was playing, um, I wasn't the most talented. I wasn't the most athletic. But I think something that um, I really did tried to have was that willingness to win and I, um, I don't know if it came across this way you may know but I was, I'm very very competitive <laughs> like in anything I do like okay. very competitive yeah. like um, whether it's like 
run to that post over there. I want to get there first. That was just the way I was. I don't know if you sort of sensed that, Chris, at training and that. But with the world I'm in now, with the the working world, it's um, it's competition 24/7, 365 days a year, no time off, which I love. I absolutely love it. Whereas football, it was like, okay, train for two hours a day. Okay, I can be super competitive there. Play for 90 minutes on a Saturday or a weekday evening. Can be competitive there. But apart from that, it's quite hard to be competitive. Where now, it's um, we've got more and more people wanting to film their games and they're, they're doing their, you know, little start-ups start like myself. People that I've sort of given advice to who have now bought a camera and they're trying it out. So it's the competition part of it that I really like. It's not necessarily the how much money do we have in the bank or how much money are we making or anything like that. It's if anyone wants their games, I want them to come to us. And it's that competition that I really thrive on now. It's quite interesting. He says that, Jing. I don't know if you picked up on this, but like when he was talking earlier about him wanting to, he, having, he was fixated on this whole MLS, MLS, MLS as an end goal. Mm. Um, now he's talking about it in terms of more the process element mm. to what he does mm. on a day-to-day, which I find quite intriguing. And I think, you know, I go through, like, the, I talk about football a lot, obviously, and especially in the coaching realm, that is definitely having things that are processed rather than outcome-driven is, is, is definitely the mantra yeah. that's coming out of a lot of these coaching um, courses and the podcasts that I listen to. I'm sure it's similar with the business ones, Louis, that you, I know you listen to a lot of these ones. You send me some random ones every now and again, you know, and I think that is the way forward. I think too many people are fixated on, you know, uh, I, I want, I want the house, or I want the car or I want, you know, this amount of followers or whatever it might be, whatever this is in your mind that you're fixated on that you think will generate this kind of happiness or, you know, that will give you a sense of uh, achievement. But really, it, once you achieve, achieve that, then, then where do you go from that point? You know, there's only, one person that can, there's only one person who can win the gold medal at the Olympics. Do you know what I mean? Does that mean mm. that everyone else is a failure? No, not really. Not really. Yeah. If, you, if you've enjoyed that process, if you've given yourself, uh, you know, if you've worked as hard as you possibly can and you've you come on with a silver, it's disappointing. But if you've enjoyed that, 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 that process, that cycle that you've gone through, uh, inspired people along the way. And I think that's, that's also really, really important. So it's quite funny that you, you, you seem to, I don't know whether it's organic or it, it's something that you've, you've, you've specifically tried to steer clear of because of your previous experiences. But for whatever reason, that thing that, that caused you your downfall perhaps in your earlier life is probably the thing that's given you the most drive and ambition and success, relatively mate. speaking, in your current, in your current role. That's what they say, don't they? It's um, what's the, the the definition of being dumb is doing the same thing twice and expecting a different outcome. So when that experience happened in America, of honestly, lads, I used to like envision myself playing like at a certain for a certain team and wearing the kit. I don't care if that sounds like over the top, but it's what it's what worked for me. I used to envision everything, and I used to focus so much on that that I would forget about like what I was doing on that day. Um, and that sort of process, it, it, it didn't work for me the, the first time. So I, I really tried to change that, you know, and, and, and focus on now I try and focus on what I've got to do today. Have that end goal. We have an end goal of doing 100 games a week. You know, that, 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 that's the aim. That's where we want to get to. But I know that if I focus on that too much, we, we're never going to get there. Just like how I was focusing on the MLS and not worrying about doing an extra session on the track or, 
you know, going, going to the physio room to try and get treatment, you know, doing them little things day by day um, didn't get me to where I wanted to go. Now I've definitely learned my lesson, you know, have that end goal. I know what it is, but don't, don't, um, don't obsess about it. You know, if you, it, I, I, look, lads, this is just my advice. I, I haven't cracked it. I haven't, I'm no big businessman at all, but I, I, um, I know what I need to do now. I know that if I take it step by step and day by day and get what I need to be done, get what needs to be done that day, I think, you know, it, in, in the long run, I'll get, I'll get your instant replay where it needs to be. But yeah, you're right, Chris. It's definitely more process driven than, than um, focusing on that end goal. I just want to, I mean, you mentioned there about going into the treatment room and, and kind of, you know, maybe working on, your, on some of the, the injuries and stuff, just bringing it back to football a little bit. You know, I think one of the things that created your downfall was, was the fact that you, again, maybe it's your competitive side that, that, that caused this. You suffered immensely with injuries. Um, you know, like I'm looking back and like you said, you hit the ground running. That first year, especially like you were, you were lights out. You had a phenomenal first, that cup run and then going into that first season on Adam Riki. Um, you know, I think you were, you arguably the best player in the league at that point and then you said I was the best player in the league the other day you said I was no I said I said arguably and then they must have they must have edited that bit out there was a bit of technical issues yeah there's a glitch mate so yeah I think I said you were like after me after me arguably one of the best players in the league your first year you were electric and then you know, if you talk about your physical being not necessarily your, your biggest attribute, but I think your directness um, and your, your sort of relentlessness was probably your key attribute, I would say, especially in those first, sort of that first sort of 12 months. But was it, was it your injuries or was it other factors, do you think, contributed to perhaps you not hitting those heights as you went through the, the years that you spent in, in the Philippines? You're right. It was it, there was a few things, but um, like you said, like listening to the the eleven the tour on eleven podcast the other day. Um, I don't know, Chris. I'm still um, my my body is knackered, mate. I I walk with like a slight limp. Honestly, I walk with a slight limp. I can't run. Uh, and this guy, I, I want to talk about this definitely because it is a huge part of um, of why I wasn't great on the pitch at all towards the back end. Well, when, even when I got on the pitch, and it's totally my fault, um, I was... So, Gene, just... I know you weren't at, at Kyle at the time, so I'll explain it to you. I had an injury on my uh, ankle where um, we didn't know what it was for a long time. But looking back at it, I'd gone from being in Australia, not doing much, training once a week, to then being put in an environment where... You know, it was intense. Training was intense. It was hard. It was in the heat. It was on surfaces that weren't always great. Um, I found it tough, you know, and that competitive um, spirit, nature, whatever you want to call it, was ultimately my downfall. I would run myself into the ground. Like, I don't think... Uh, there were the off day, Chris, but I, I, I would... Um, say that I worked hard in training 90% of the time. Like really, I, I always 50, gave my all. I, 50% I, yeah, of the I, time. I, I always felt like, especially at the start, especially at the start, I, I wanted to impress, you know, I really wanted to impress and be the best player out there. Um, and that, and I started getting a few niggles, but my ankle was something that I knew was serious. And um, 
credit to Paul and Justin. They they gave me every um, opportunity to get an operation. I needed an operation. I basically had a cartilage issue in my uh, ankle, and um, the doctor said, "Look, your your ankle, the cartilage in your ankle is meant to be like." I remember him saying it, Doctor Castro. He was like, uh, "Your ankle, your ankle's meant to be like a white ball, snoop on a pool table, like a smooth white surface." But he said, "Mine looked like someone just got a hammer and smashed it, and it was like an egg, cracked egg." Like my mm. cartilage was completely just messed up and um you think about it it was my left ankle it was my standing foot i strike the ball with my right so a lot of weight's always going onto my left foot I, it was it was seriously painful and it was to the point where i weren't training i was dosing up on painkillers um it, I, I was i was nowhere near where i wanted to be but there was no quick solution to it it was either have a not or have these sort of steroid inject injections these cortisone injections um i was given both options santi paul justin lbc were like look here's the money for the operation you can have the operation but you're going to be out for eight it was like eight to 12 months ridiculous like not playing football at that time in my year when we had the afc there you know things that i had aspired to playing for my whole when did life, you first you know, when did you first when did you first realize it was a problem louis um it was when we like so i kept moaning about it saying uh I, i'm struggling i'm struggling i'm struggling and kaya were great you know it was always one day in the week where they would chuck us in the van and take us off to the hospital and whoever needed to get treatment would go and see dr castro or if you were sick you would see a doctor so it it I remember like relying on the PTs at training and they didn't really know because obviously they don't have x-ray machines there. They would say, do you know what I mean? They would do the best yeah. with what they had. And then I got recommended to go to the hospital. And then Chris, I was going every week. I was going every single week to the hospital and they didn't really, I had scans. Kyle were paying for me to have scans, all sorts of scans, all sorts of treatments. And they came up with this conclusion that my ankle was messed up and I needed an op. And it was either, here's an op, sit out, you know, in Manila for 12 months, uh, not playing football. It was never going to happen. Never, ever. I wasn't just going to or play and have these cortisone injections. Now, these cortisone injections, like, how they're legal, I'll never, ever know. It was like, I would have one, you'd lay in bed for a day, like, you'd have to be off your feet, wake up, and your ankle is brand new. Like, I think this is quite common practice within, like, top professional sports especially in the US I think like a lot of American footballers have them and stuff like that so you know I, got, I want to get it across, uh, the point across that Kaya gave me the opportunity to be paid whilst having this operation and sitting out but it was my choice to sort of say no I don't want to do that I want to play in the AFC Cup I want to help the team I want to play um, that's why I'm there so I had this opera I had this injection um, and it lasts like six months and it was brilliant so I got back out on the field, started training again, um, picked up a few other injuries, but my ankle, which was my main issue, was fine. And um, I needed another one. I needed another injection. And then over the space of like a year, I had 12 injections on my left ankle, Jeez. 12. So it was, it was what, the first one lasted like six months. I might, these numbers might be a bit off. I can't exactly remember. But it ended up being that I needed an injection every three or four weeks because the more you have them, the more your body sort of gets used to it and the more damage I was doing to my ankle because it was simply just masking the pain. It wasn't, a, it wasn't fixing me. 
So I kept training, 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 taking more of these shots. And it would come to the point where like, I needed the operation so badly. I didn't have the time for the for the op, you know, I really didn't. I wanted to play in the AFC Cup, and and ultimately that's what stopped me from signing that Tampanese, and uh, along with some other factors, I, I was crooked them last two years, like physically, um, injury after injury after injury. But underlying, like overruling that was my ankle was completely messed up, and that's not me trying to make excuses. The people that know know how bad it is and even now like in lockdown a few of my mates started a campaign to um do like 5k runs to keep people active during lockdown and stuff like that to raise some money and they raised like fortunes but i I was doing my 5k run and i wouldn't be able to walk after and stuff like that i'm still in real bad shape from it so yeah to answer your question um i'm not saying that was the complete reason why i wasn't as good as um, performing as well as I would have liked to have been. But um, it, it, it was definitely a big part of it. I don't care what anyone says. People that know, Paul, Justin, Dr. Chris, they know that I was, I was struggling big time. Because anyone that says that, um, I don't, you know, I wouldn't give it my 100%, especially on game day, is, it doesn't really know me. I wanted to win at everything. I think one of the problems that I encountered, because obviously this is, this is like a, just give you a sort of timeline. I can remember when I, I first started seeing some of your issues, probably the back end of that 2015 season, the season we won the cup. Because if That's you recall, all the to me. Yeah. That, well, the season we, basically the season we won the cup, so the start of year, Adam Riki's in charge, you're on fire. Right, yeah, so you're on fire. Yeah. So this, this is when I'm saying, after me, best player in the league, right? So this is when he's tip-top Louis Clark. Then mm. during, this, during this period, like, so by the end of the season, when we win the cup and I'm, I'm in charge as a player coach, you're actually just coming off the bench. Mm. Yeah. You remember that? So for the cup, no, yeah, basically yeah. For, for, yeah. for the cup, you're only coming off the bench and essentially, you're just there to score penalties if, if it, or, or, or come on with 10 minutes to go to, to which, maybe which try to made, see out a game. Which burnt me in my chest. I hated it hated it do you know what I mean I wanted to be out there scoring every goal like that's just like and you brought some good players in you brought some really good players in and it wasn't an automatic that I was going to start Mendy Jordan two players that I would say have better ability than me like better two fantastic players so it was really hard to get in the squad along with look we all have injuries if you tap show me a player that hasn't had injuries I'll show you a liar everyone that plays sports has injuries and plays through injuries but with this one it it was um it was it was tough, you know, standing for ankle. I then developed like a quad strain. I don't remember if you remember, Chris, but a quad strain that I couldn't shake off. So you think about it, my standing left leg, my right quad, which I'm striking the ball, I was out of action. I couldn't physically get round it. Now, I don't want to say that was the only reason. There were other factors as well. Well, I, when I first got to the choir, I was slung out in the sticks in the choir house in, um, where is it? I forget. Merville. 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 Oh, good old Merville, right? With Freddie, Rich Greer, real good people around me. You know, after a game, we would have a red horse and watch something on TV and then go to bed. Well, I quickly realised about BGC and what was going on in BGC and, and, um, and just everything about it. 
and um, my mate Sham lived in BGC who played for Morocco. I knew Sham from back in England. And I quickly found out that like the clubs were open all night, that there was stuff going on and the nightlife was fantastic and I had a great time. But that also crept into my life where, you know, I was 24, 25, whatever it was, and I wanted to go out as well, you know, and that definitely played a part. I remember um, going out before training, um, drinking before training, being out all night, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. And uh, that also was part of why, you know, I don't think it affected my performance, but it definitely didn't help me get healthy and fit, you know? It didn't help my ankle going out drinking all night, doing this, staying up late, when really I should be resting and trying to get my body right to go out and train. I think that definitely played a big part in it as well, you know? Yeah, from like the outside looking in, Jing, like one thing I think, like I, I would agree with, with a lot of what Louis is saying there, you know, like... It, the injuries did cause a lot of problems for him. And, and there were times, especially me, like you said, no one gets injured. I never got injured. So I was always one who yeah, would train. Yeah, I, I was always like, I never get injured. So, and I was always a good trainer. So I used to get frustrated with him when I was a player. And then as a coach, I, I, I was always, and this is something that I, I've explained in the podcast where I think mismanagement as me being a, a, an inexperienced coach came to the fore. Cause I was like that with Louis and some of the other players you know, people like Alfred who always had injuries, and you know, because he just the way he played, he probably should have given him a, a bit more rest. And you know, and I think what what invariably happened with with Louis is, is a concoction of a lot of different things. So you got the issue with the injuries, which is obviously causing him problems. He, he then turns to probably you know trying to overly socialise, especially in that mm. stat last year. And then finally, when he does get on the pitch, a lot of the times was he was like this bubble, uh, like just simmering on the surface and invariably he found himself getting into trouble with yellow cards, red cards, suspensions, unnecessary uh, activities on the pitch. And, and I think that also factored in because of the fact was you were injured, so you're frustrated. Yeah. Um, by the time you get on the pitch, you're just like, oh, I've just like this wound up coil and then you let loose and then you invariably have oh, three match suspension because you've two footed someone, you know, or got into a fight mm. off, off, you know, off the ball. And, I think that, that was one of the things that sort of led to that, that being quite a frustrating year for you. It was, it was a combination of all of those things. That's from an outsider looking in. And that's why like, I sort of said, I wish I'd managed that situation different because taking a back seat now, I, I think I could have managed that situation better as a coach because obviously I, that by this time I'm now the head coach and I'm now responsible. But, you know, I also feel a little bit of an obligation as a coach because I remember you getting those shots and I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Varsity Blues, but there is that element of it like, oh, is this the right thing? Like, is this, no, is this yeah. something that we're condoning? But, but then by the same token, like, like you said, you're competitive and you're like, I just want to get out on the pitch. I think even mm -hmm. if I had a stepped in and gone, oh, Louis, listen, just take the operation, take the 12 months off. You probably would have gone, no way, Chris, I ain't doing it. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I wanted. Like yourself, Paul and Justin gave me that option. It was there on the table. Do you know what I mean? But... It wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to. I was obsessed again with playing in the AFC Cup. Um, I wanted to play, and and that it was. Oh, it was my decision, hundred percent. But you're right, Chris. It was. It was a mixture of things that made me um, not perform. I wanted to perform on the pitch. It was going out too much, which was due to being injured. It weren't the right thing to do. It really weren't. Don't get me wrong. I would have still gone out. 
but I wouldn't have gone out to the excess that I was going out before training. And yeah. like, you shouldn't be doing it. One thing I would say is that I, I never went out uh, like boozing before a game. That's something that I would I never did, and I actually got collared for it. I don't know if you remember um, when Fabian when Fabian was there. I mean, this guy Jing, he's a clown. The bloke should never, ever, ever have been a football coach. I don't know where they've dug him up from. But he came in and they talk about first impressions. I looked at the bloke and I, we, we just didn't hit it off at all. And um, I think the, the iceberg of that was um, there was Chris Brown concert in Manila and we had training right before and we had a game the next day. And um, me, OJ, Kenny, we all went. We all went, but we had a game the next day. I think some other boys came as well. I can't remember. And it was at, is it Mall of Asia? It's like that big, um, yeah. like a big arena, ain't there? So like Chris Brown's in Manila. Obviously, I'm going to go to Chris Brown in Manila. It wasn't even a late thing at all, but we had a game the next day. And I remember being at training and Fabian's going, I'm going to the concert, but none of you lot are allowed to go. So I was like, all right, well, that's not happening. Tickets are booked. We're going. Like, I remember saying, we're going. We're not drinking, we're going. And then um, we get to the concert. We're at the concert. We're having a dance. You know, it's Chris Brown. He's in Manila. Like, it's like one of them things that I'm not going to miss. And then Sin Fabian out the corner of my eye. And he was with some Filipino chick. I don't know. And, um, and then didn't think anything else of it. Literally didn't think anything else of it. If he caught me with like a Budweiser in my hand or something like that, I'd be like, like, I'm in trouble here, but it weren't the case. No matter what anyone says to me, I'll throw my hands up when I'm in the wrong, but this one, it's not happened. So we turn up to the game the next day and I'm expecting to play. Didn't hear anything else of it. Got my boots ready, got my shin pads, look up at the board, name's not in the starting 11. You know, day before I'm in the starting 11 at training, set pieces and all of that. And then, um, yeah, not in the starting 11. So me or OJ. So we just thought, fuck this, we're off. We're gone. Like, I'm, go- I'm going home. I'm not sitting out here and sitting on the bench. And then um, didn't say bye. Just watched the game, then shot off. Obviously got pulled into a meeting the next day. And uh, Chris, were you in the meeting? It was in, um, it was in a hotel. Uh, no, like an apartment block in BGC where I think they, that Fabian lived. And we had a meeting. I remember Paul and him being in there. I can't remember if you were in there. You were a player then, so I don't know. if you <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, but then um, <laughs> Fabian's turned around and gone, yeah, we're fining you a month's money. So I said, all right, well, I'll see you later. I'm going out. I'm going back to, I'm going back to England. And then Paul was just like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, hold on, hold on. Like, OJ the same. So they, they threatened to um, fine OJ a, a, a month's money as well. And we were both like, we're off. We're going. He's going back to America. I'm going back to England. And then credit to Paul, he sort of, you know, this was Fabian saying these things. Do you know what I mean? Like, you talk about how to manage your players. He had, he had no reason. Like, if I can't go out and, not, and, and, you know, not drink, you know, I'll hold my hands up when I have a drink or, or do whatever. If I can't go out and go to a concert, I don't, like, for me, that's just like, what are we doing? Do you know what I mean? It's not the army. It's, that's too regimented. But I, I I think it's really, I think it's really important you have a life outside of football whilst you whilst you're playing, right? 
and doing things like that, I don't see, if I was a manager, I wouldn't see any problem with, as long as you turn up on the day and you're ready to go. So he tried firing us a month's money. Paul sort of rescued the day because I was ready to go. OJ was ready to go. Um, and we and we figured it out. But, um, yeah. Baby. <laughs> I remember, Sorry, I, uh, that, I, I remember, uh, I remember, let's, let's just get this right, okay? He's no saint because... There was another hey, time. Me or, was, me or Fabian? You, you, you. Definitely not you. Right. So there was a time when uh, I think I, I was in charge. And I think you, Tishan Hanley, George Boutron, and uh, Ben Bower. Right? Before training, right? Before training. Okay. <laughs> yeah, before training. Yeah. Showed up to one of my sessions. And uh, I think... I got word. I've got, and Louis knows this. I've got people everywhere. Yeah. And then, uh, so I got them all together in a group. This is like an 8 a.m. session. I said, right, I'll give you all a chance. I said, right, I know a bunch of you were out in the the pool club last night. I said, you can, so I said, right. So I said, if if you're in the (laughs) pool club, we were swimming. We were swimming. We were going for a swim, mate. Go, go. I said, go stand over here if you're in the pool club. I knew Louis was, but didn't know the other ones were. So uh, I think a few of them, few of them, yeah, a few random ones stepped out, and uh, yeah, we ended up doing a bit of running, didn't we? That more then I joined in, yeah, I did it with you. Um, yeah, it was probably so the hottest day ever. Is no, people were being sick and everything, weren't they? Tish, but... Tish was Tish was sick, and he wasn't sick from the alcohol because he didn't drink, but apparently he ate some dodgy food from the buffet. This is what he claims. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, no, yeah. you're right though. I think training's one thing, and it shouldn't be done. Do you know what I mean? But turning up. Uh, drinking before a night of a game is saying that I wouldn't do and I didn't do and um, the fact that I didn't like this bloke before he made that des- that decision that assumption you know and then he came with it look, what, at Kaijing you know everyone says hello to each other shakes hands or and then says goodbye to each other it's part of like the culture it's really good I loved it well this fella I would go out of my way not to say hello to him and go out of my way not to say goodbye to him just because I couldn't I couldn't get along with him the thing with managers is that if I feel like you ain't been there, this is when I was playing, it's different now. If I feel like you haven't been there or done it or I don't trust your opinion and you're telling me what to do, I, I, I think I can be quite um, rude and just a bit of a shit personality, really. Like, if I don't think it's coming from a good source, I just aren't going to have it. And from the get-go, I made it quite clear that I weren't interested in what he had to say. And I think that was a reflection on the results as well, to be honest. I think when Adam Riki was there, Adam Riki um, was brilliant, wasn't he? We were top of the league when he left. Don't think we lost the game. Um, and I, val- I valued him as a person and as a coach. And obviously, when Chris was there, the same. But with that middle spell, where I- Chris, I get muddled up with it. Was that when I was really fall- falling out of form, or was I still? No, you still good. I, can't I mean, that, that Mor- the Morocco game was within that window, wasn't it? The three-two game, he scored. Uh, yeah, it's got a couple. Uh, well, Adam, yeah, Adam I, was helping you out, giving you assists and stuff. Yeah, you had Antoine at right back and Adam at centre half. So I sort of looked at that and said, "Right, well, I'm going to go and play over there," because um, I knew they couldn't live with it. They couldn't live with it. Like Antoine is one of the worst football players I've ever seen in my life, without a doubt. And I know you boys are mates with him, but let me put it into terms, into a uh, context. He wouldn't get in the pub side back here. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't get in the pub side. And I know you can't say anything, but he wouldn't. So whenever I um, played against him, 
like, I'm not saying I'm a smart player, but I would realise who's no good. And I would say, right, I'm going to go and play off his shoulder or off his shoulder. And Adam Mitter, I don't really want to say a bad word about him. Um, he um, He's a nice lad. He's a really nice lad, Adam. So I don't really want to talk about him like that. And I actually wish him all the best with his football. He's obviously doing well. But um, yeah, when I was playing, I used to try and figure out who I wanted to play against and, uh, and attach myself to them. You've warmed up a little bit, haven't you? It's taking you about an hour, but now all of a sudden you're putting people on blast. Listen, this guy, right? I've just said that I had a coffee. Let, let, what? Yeah, it's all kicked in. He, yeah. Listen, he, let, let's, let's be clear, right? He also walked out of one of our pre, pre, uh, friendly games that I was in charge of. He was shocked in the warm-up and he just went home. I had a pop at him and he walked off. <laughs> so he, he, he does pretty much blanket disrespect everyone. Right, so he, oh yeah, just, no. There's, there's, there's then just... like Anton, no, he knows it's coming. He knows it's coming. I ain't bothered about that. If he ever came to England, I'd like to just be at the gate and shove him back on the plane and fly him back out to Manila. Like I, I didn't like that guy one bit. And it wasn't just um, on the field stuff; it was off the field stuff as well. Like I would see him out, and there was things that happened and all this. But Adam, I, I don't want to put him in the same breath as him. Like I, I actually do have respect for the boy. And wish him all the best. To be honest, anyone else yet? Anyone else you want to have a go at? Um, no, they really. No, ain't. Just, like, I, I hope not. I wasn't going to give you much airtime if you did. <laughs> <laughs> but, really air time. Um, no, there's no one really. Like I, I wouldn't mind talking about the players that I did rate. To be honest, and there's plenty of them. Do you know what I mean? I think. So what? what yeah. Um, so, go, so go on in. Like obviously, we we talked about the the, the eleven that. That we had the, the yeah. foreign boys, and obviously a lot of those guys were you were quite pally with, weren't you? Like obviously Orman and that mm. lived in your building, Freddie and Rich. Yeah. We, we spoke about from our team. Who, who were the sort of players that you played at against? They were out here. Who you were like, well, yeah, they Philippine, could definitely no, play or, at a top level. Any, any, any. Yeah. Um, well, the same old names really, but like um, on other teams, I'll go with other teams first. I think um, Sarah's had some good players. I always like Maniot. I always like Maniot. I didn't know him. Never. I only said hello to him a few times, but I always thought he was a good player. Um, I always thought um, oh, uh, Phil. Phil. I thought Phil oozed class. Um, how motivated he was, I don't know. But I think he oozed. He was like very good player. I liked watching him play. Um, on other teams... Um, I liked, um, there, there were some good fullbacks in that league. There were some good fullbacks. I remember having good battles with Sato. Don't know where yeah. he's playing now. I liked him as a player. Um, and staying on the fullback theme, um, the boy Serge, the, um, the, the international boy, yeah. I liked him, like just athleticism on another level. Um, yeah, uh, but the ones that really stick in my mind are the boys that were at Pire. And, um, when, uh, not to say it, but when Chris was in charge, Jing, we had some team. Like, we had some players. Like, the ones that really stick out were, like, Mendy. Like, even though we were similar position and stuff, um, I wouldn't say he was the most, um, like, had all the ability in the world. But in terms of athleticism, he had the athleticism of a pro player back here in England. Like, he could, he, it, for me, he... Um, out of everyone that I can think of, he would probably go through the rankings further than anyone because I think when you get to a certain level, ability sort of doesn't stop, but 
athleticism can get you there. And he had that in abundance. I don't think there's many people that can play against him. He was so strong and quick. It was frightening. But um, the player that really sticks in my mind that I don't think could have gone further up the leagues than Mendy was Miguel Tanton. Might seem quite a shocking one, but um, Miguel, with a ball at his feet, like, is frightening. His feet are out of this world. And I remember thinking in the right team, given the right role, he could be like, he was so fun to watch. I really enjoyed watching Migs play. It was one of them ones where like, he couldn't really pass that well. He wasn't very quick. He wasn't very strong, but he was so good on the ball. And like, quite dis- not strong, but used his body well and reminded me a lot of players that I used to look up to, like Joe Cole and, and players like that, that um, had a bit of a, didn't play the game like everyone else, had a sort of swagger to their game, bit scrappy, but like without, could, could easily have three players around him and a touchline there and managed to worm his way out and get, get, get out of that situation. And I love watching Miguel play. Um, there were, there, I'm sure there's others as well that I've missed out on. There were some good players in that league. But, uh, you know, OJ, I'm, I know I'm talking about the Kaya guys, but I liked watching OJ play. I think he's probably come along as a player as he's got older. When I was playing with him, he was young. But I see him scoring goals in the AFC Cup and stuff, and he was always fun to play with. Um, Alfred, Alfred Osei, like you said in, in your previous podcast, he um, he was different class I wasn't there for when you guys said he was out of this world at Emperor but um, he was the sort of player where like um, I talk about playing through injuries this boy has injuries that you wouldn't believe like he he shouldn't have been playing and he would still soldier on and put his body on the line and I respected that I didn't really think he was the best on the ball I I always had him as a centre half when he further throughout the years he sort of moved into that defensive centre mid role but in terms of an out and out defender you ain't getting round me I think there ain't many better than him but then you know I remember playing against I forget his name now the Korean boy at Ceres he's about 10 foot tall <laughs> Kawasi I think his name was it, was it? Uh, the other massive, one massive massive the other one. yeah yeah uh, forgot his name I had nightmares against him I remember the Spanish centre half at Ceres older guy um, Wani Wani yeah, he he was like he used to kick me up in the air. Yeah, lots of good, lot lot lots of really talented players, and um, obviously your Schrotz and Stoy, Martin Stoyble, Stoyble. Uh, yeah, I remember them being good players. Uh, obviously, the Great Witch Brothers. It goes without saying, but yeah, plenty. You know, even even um, players like James. You know, you know, great pedigree. Um, it's quite funny with, with James. I actually um, wanted to talk about him because I don't know if you boys remember. I, I called him out on Twitter a few years ago. Um, completely out of the blue. Never really spoke to James when he when I was out there. Said hello and stuff. We'd be friendly. But um, there was a time when I, when I stopped playing, I was quite bitter. I was still competitive and didn't have much to do was trying to get what I'm doing now off the ground. And them boys had all moved from Loyola to Davao. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. And uh, I was gambling a lot at that time, like on football. 
and uh, I'm not talking about having a fiver or a tenner. I was like chucking like all my money on things. And um, Deval had this influx of like big time players. Do you know what I mean? De Jong, the young young husband brothers. They picked up a bunch of players. And in England, you can have a bet on the UFL, PFL, whatever it was. And the bookmakers had no idea about this influx of players going to this team and the money involved. And they were pricing up the games at like, I'm not even joking, like, devout at like 12 to 1. So if you have a pound, you win 12 back. Like, massive, massive value. And uh, I was lumping on. Like, like lumping on. And uh, they were getting beat by like stallions, 2-0. And I'm like waking up early to watch it. And I'm watching Phil and James, like, they didn't care. They didn't care. They obviously didn't care that I had a bet on it. But I'm watching <laughs> it thinking, this is, this is free money. And um, they're just getting beat every single week. And the bookmaker keeps pricing them up and up and up. And I'm thinking, I'm reloading, reloading, reloading. Because they have got to win a game soon. And they couldn't win a game. So I lost my head, went on Twitter and said, James, what the are you playing at? Put a ball in the net. You've had a stinker there. And it was completely out of order. Like I, I actually regret that. So if he's listening to this, he probably ain't. But I'd like to say, I've, I've listened to his interviews with you boys. And he's actually like a really nice fellow. Like Comes across really well. Harmless bloke. Nice guy. So I'd want to publicly say sorry for that. Because as soon as I did that, he sort of messaged me straight away saying, sorry, mate, like, I thought we were mad. Like, didn't think it was like that. <laughs> And I sort of said, do one. Do you know what I mean? Do one. I ain't interested. And then we haven't spoke since, apart from, I think, through Midgey, where Midgey told me that. I said to Midgey, like, tell him I'm sorry and all that. But I think it's only right I sort of say my piece on that and and apologise. Does anyone else want to say apologise to? Anyone else? Anyone, you know, you've you've said all the things to over the years, abused on social media. No, 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 that's, no. that's just it. That's it. You got a list. <laughs> that's what I yeah, love about Louis, though, man. Like, yeah, you know. but I'll say it how it is. Like, I'll, I'll, yeah. um, the James thing I had in my head before that I wanted to bring up, do you know what I mean? And just get it out there. That's one thing I always enjoyed about you, you know, like you, you always spoke your mind, but both ways, right? You admit it when you're wrong. So mm. it, it, it evens it out, you know what I mean? But it's always entertaining. That's for the outsiders, yeah. it's always entertaining. And like I sort of said, like, from, the, from when I was playing, like, I would, I didn't know if I noticed it at the time, but I would always try and pick battles with people to try and get the best out of myself. Right. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's, like, before the game or during the game, that um, adrenaline, whatever you want to call it, definitely sort of, um, I think, made me more motivated to go out there and win the game. And that's, the end goal was obviously just to win games. So, I, however, I found a way to try and do it. It might have upset people. It may have, may have given me a bad reputation. But it, at the end of the day, all I wanted to do was win games for Kaya. So, I did, what, I did whatever I felt it took at the time. So, all in all, was it about three years? Two, three years in the Philippines, was it? Something like that, weren't it? I'll, two or three years, yeah. Two, two or three years. Two or three years, quite an eventful run. Um, obviously, started hot, as you said. There was there was the the injuries in between and closer to the end. But you still got to the AFC Cup. You still scored a goal. Um, you scored the winning penalty in 2015 in the UFL Cup. What's the highlight 
for you uh, out of everything? Um, yeah, like um, the penalty, the penalty is what sticks in my mind the most, funny enough. I don't know if you're the same, Chris, when you play, but I actually like, if I close my eyes and think about that, I can actually like put myself there. So weird to say, but like, I remember, um, again, like always wanting to just be the winner, always wanting to take the fifth penalty because I knew that if it worked out that way, that the pressure would be on me and I loved that. Um, and I remember them missing in the final. I believe it was this, and Ali Borromeo. And obviously, Ali um, was at the end of his career when he was playing with us. And I don't think he was the player that um, a lot of people told me about previously. When Ali was fit, um, people used to say to me he was the best player out there by a mile. Like, was a complete beast. And he's obviously had really poor luck with his knees and injury, injury, injury. And I think he was at the back end of his career. But one thing that did sit with me with Ali was that He's been there and done it in front of them big crowds. And obviously, I respected that. And I listened to a lot of what he said, actually. But he sort of uh, said, just embrace it. You know, like, this don't happen often. And he's, he was bang on. It was true. It doesn't happen often. It's never happened since. But, yeah, walking up to that penalty, putting the ball down. And I remember so clearly looking over my shoulder and seeing just everyone looking at me, like, you know, like, this is big. This was all that mattered to me in my life at that point. Getting to the AFC Cup, as, as dramatic as that sounds, it's the truth. And um, yeah, that really sticks in my mind, uh, just walking up to it and, and striking the penalty. And um, yeah, I remember that. I also remember the, not necessarily the games in the AFC Cup. I didn't get, I wasn't playing, I weren't playing, but um, the experience of the AFC Cup, travelling, hotels, doing things properly, meals, eating right, living like a pro was, was no matter what anyone says to you that aspires to be a pro footballer, it's not just the on-the-field things that matter to them. It's about feeling like a pro, them little things. And we had that in abundance in the AFC Cup. Kaya looked after us. You know, we weren't, we weren't going for nothing. There was everything we needed. It was there. Um, and that really sticks in my mind. Um, I remember that first global game. We, I remember, I think it was my first league game against global or something. I remember the first big game was against global and we, they had a, a bit of an aura about them. You know, I had no idea. I'd never seen them play, but they had some big signings. I think they were, they were spending as much money as anyone else in the league. I might be wrong on that, just what I remember. And um, we, were, we weren't expected to win and we ended up winning the game. Um, and with Riki, I think it was Riki in charge. I remember that game quite clearly. Um, other than that, it is a bit of a blur. I think the game's just come so far and in between mm. that you sort of lose momentum a lot of the times, whether it's an international tournament or there's a, like a walkout or whatever it is. It's sort of hard to remember a lot of, a lot of it because there was so much time in between. You know what I mean? Nice that that moment that you strike in a penalty in 2015, it's immortalized. It's in my computer. I have that picture. I, oh, I posted the image mate. of you celebrating. That's, that's nice etched one, in history forever. Yeah, that goes down as a special moment for me. But it, like, I had nothing to do with me, Jing. The boys are out there for 120 minutes and I sort of came up, came on for 10 minutes and 
and uh, scored a penalty. It had nothing to do with me, but um, it, I, I, yeah, I'd be lying to say it weren't a special moment. Do you know what I mean? It's saying I'll never forget. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't really like the the um, the play inside of it. It was what it meant to Kaya. Like mm-hmm. I knew how much it meant to Paul and Justin. I knew how much it meant to them. I knew how much it meant to Chris. I knew, you know, some of my friends out there. There weren't many. Some of the people that I regarded as mates and that I could rely on that small circle it meant a lot to them and um, yeah that it, 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 was, it was a good time for the club it was great times yeah, certainly so um, man almost two hours we've been speaking already sorry here. yeah I know. man it's, it's been so fast you know it's been awesome being able to catch up on everything and, and to know that the business is doing well and hopefully uh, after this whole pandemic situation um, get sorted out or we should figure out how the new normal is going to be that, that your instant replay will blow up after all of this it's been fantastic chatting man um, Chris anything else you'd like to ask or, or talk about no not unless there's anyone else on his hit list who wants to sort of um, give a quick <laughs> no, pan into done. no he's done he's done good he's no done. look it's, it's been good I've, I've wanted to get him on the show before because he's been a big fan since the beginning he's always listened to the shows uh, obviously the ones that um that we've done with players that he knows he's, he's really enjoyed. And obviously, like the, the fact that he was on the featured in, the, in last week's podcast was what prompted us. He's, he's obviously showed that he's a colourful character off it also. And um, his competitive side shines through. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a lot of people will, will be quite surprised at hearing some of the things that he's come up with there. And, and there's a lot of re- reasons to why perhaps he wasn't able to reach the heights of his, of his first year. So I think it's important that he was able to speak about it in his own words, because I think not that, that, that side of his story wasn't, wasn't really well documented. So for people to hear that, I think, um, I think it's important and, it, and it's good to, to, that he was able to explain it in his own, in his own words. Hey, it's been nice being able to, to, to look back at all of that as well. I remember one of the, the experiences that stuck with me with you was one of the first times that actually we hung out was uh, an Adidas event at the uh, indoor pitch mm. in Sparta. And I think it was only I hated you, all that, mate. I think it was only you and me that didn't get boots that day. Yeah. We were sitting down and we were just having a chat like, hey, man, nobody's remembered to, to bring our boots, right? So we were kind of yeah. in that boat. But what, what I recall was that Louis Clark was always a genuine guy, you know, always a genuine character. Um, oh, I appreciate it. would always speak his mind. And um, it's been nice to be able to, to, to see you doing well and some, some, you, you sending over nice words about the podcast and, um, and, and me being able to look over it and see how you're doing over there in your instant replay, man. It's, it's, it's funny how the world of football keeps us all together, even though we're so far away, you know, and that was just a blip in time that you being here and our interactions was a tiny piece of your time here, but yeah, it, it stuck out, man. Like I, I remember that time and I remember your, the, 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 the three years that you gave us here in the Philippines and we appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, mate. I appreciate everything you guys have done for me. Um, the Filipino people are some of the best people in the world. I love my time there. Um, yeah, I have really fond memories and with you guys with the podcast, I think it's great what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think it's great what you're doing with the podcast. Um, it, it, it's that consistency, isn't it? You boys have been consistent with your uploads. 
over here in the UK, there's plenty of podcasts, but they will fizzle out within, I'll give most of them a month. You boys have, te- uh, have gone through that test of time where you're still, still t- churning out content on a, on a regular basis. And it's interesting, mate. I- I'm excited to see where it goes for the pair of you. You need to get a sponsor on board, I think. That's the next step, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we hope. There's some, you know. there's some big JP Morgan offices and Shangri-La offices in Manila. You should be going <laughs> up to them and, and getting some money out of them. But, mate, it's, it's great to see. It brings back loads of memories. So thank you both for, for getting this going. Do you know what I mean? Great. We need to get more, we need to get more of the Kaya boys on here, I think. Because I'm sure some of the stories I've told, they might have a different opinion on it or whatever. But it'd be good to see some more players on, on here as well. We're get Anton good. on. Why not get Anton on? Let him he's say a good, his side he, of the story. He's a good friend of the show, of course. So uh, yeah, Anton yeah. will likely be back on the show at some point. Um, and uh, we'll have plenty to talk about with, with regards to Louis Clark. That's for sure. <laughs> we appreciate the support, man. And yeah, it's been over 50 episodes now. Um, so we... COVID stop. couldn't stop us. So I don't think love anything it. will, right? So no. tremendous, the moon. Tre- tremendous having Louis on, uh, on the show. And um, yeah, it really gave a, a fantastic insight on your time here and the highs and the lows and everything, the buildup of your trip over to the Philippines, your time in America and uh, in Australia. We got a great glimpse into your life, man. And uh, yeah, we appreciate the time that you, you, you gave us. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this conversation with uh, Louis Clark here, We'd appreciate it if you subscribe to uh, our channel on YouTube, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. And find us on social media, on Facebook, um, Instagram, and on Twitter. Uh, that is it. We had Louis Clark on this Football Friday. Any last words, Chris? Get him off. Get him off. He's, he's got work to do. Look at him on his phone already. Checking yeah. his messages. I'm all right to get going now. Are we all right? Go, go find some more film uh, games to film. But uh, no, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Hope everyone uh, enjoys your insights. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on, pal. Appreciate it. Cheers, lads. Have a good day.